Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to wherever you are, wherever you're listening to us. This is the Right On Track podcast where we talk all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. I'm Parry and... I'm Connor. And I'm Denim. Yes, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about four episodes, which are pretty much the quintessential Thomas stories. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. If you want to know how Thomas is, what he's like, you sort of need to watch these four episodes to get a good idea of who he is. And in the foreword of the Railway series, this is actually Thomas's first look in the branch line that he's running. And he invites everyone to come and look because there's no other branch line in the world quite like it. Indeed, there is not. The episodes we are going to be discussing today are Thomas and the Guard, Thomas Goes Fishing, Thomas, Terence and the Snow, and Thomas and Bertie, all of which are adapted from the fourth book in the Railway series by Reverend Audrey, Tank Engine Thomas again. Yes. It's a very good book, and I think as we've uh, sung loud with pride, um, there's so much to love about each of these stories, and each one uniquely has an asset about that that's so memorable to not only Thomas's character, but to Thomas as a brand and as a story. So I'm really excited to uh, yeah, see uh, how the discussion flows today. Yeah. So why don't we get right into it? First up is the episode Thomas and the Guard, or in the US, Thomas and the Conductor. Thomas the Tank Engine is very proud of his branch line. He thinks it's the most important part of the whole railway. His two coaches, Annie and Clarabelle, agree with him. Annie can only take passengers, but Clarabelle can take passengers, luggage and the guard. They are both old and need new paint, but Thomas loves them very much. As they run backwards and forwards along the line, they sing songs to each other. When Thomas starts from a station, he sings, Oh, come along, we're rather late. Oh, come along, we're rather late. And the coaches sing, We're coming along, we're coming along. They don't mind what Thomas says to them, because they know he is trying to please the fat controller. And they know, too, that if Thomas is cross, he's not cross with them. One of the interesting things about this story is uh, we get a proper introduction to Annie and Clarabelle the first time, who are two uh, important characters uh, to the Thomas mythology. They're uh, the coaches that Thomas uh, pulls on his branch line. Um, and they're very much um, attached to Thomas's character uh, from the opening credits uh, to almost every episode from here on in that Thomas is in. Um, and in the description uh, that we heard Ringo say, uh, they're both old and need new paints, it makes you wonder what are Annie and Clarabelle's origins. And yes. There, there are two uh, things I can probably... Uh, explain a little bit about this. Uh, one is that um, in the first, I guess, little chunk of season one up until now, um, you see a lot of the same class of uh, coach as Annie yes. and Clarabelle around Atford Station and pulled by the bigger engines. And uh, one, uh, I guess, kind of headcanon theory that I have is that Annie and Clarabelle were um, two of those many coaches and um, eventually the Fat Controller decided um, two of these coaches could have the the liberty of uh, being exclusive to a branch line. And uh, the other theory uh, fits into The Adventure Begins, which is uh, mm. the 70th anniversary special that uh, there were two other coaches that were often used by engines like Edward and James um, on the main lines um, and were eventually uh, gifted to Thomas uh, to work with him. Hmm. It is worth noting that the type of coaches we see in the first season, the sort of brownie orange ones with the light grey roofs, they're not seen beyond the first season. Right. So in yeah. the second season, they're replaced by completely new coaches, and Annie and Clarabella are pretty much the last of their kind. Yeah, I guess. Oh, there's a whole uh, mythos here. Though. Yes. It's a whole new can of worms, and you could uh, definitely digress into that. And it's something that I'd love to discuss as well. But- 
by far probably one of the most interesting facts about Annie and Clarabelle is that their actual class that they're based off of are actually bogey coaches. How yes. In the TV yeah. series, they are just standard coaches with four wheels each instead of eight. Correct. Um, which is quite surprising because in uh, Edward's Day Out, you see a teal, not a teal, but like a beigey, orangey brown coach mm. uh, that is a bogey in one of the sheds behind him. And it's the only one of its seen. But it does make you wonder why didn't they use a bogey coach? Because we know that they did have yeah. access to them. Yeah, it makes you wonder as well, maybe that they had those plans uh, to do that with Annie and Clarabelle, but perhaps maybe the way they built the sets for Thomas's branch line, maybe the, the smaller coaches happened to work better. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Now, of course, this is the episode Thomas and the Guard, or Thomas and the Conductor in American releases, where Thomas is enjoying this branch line, and after a very rushed day, he decides, uh, well, he doesn't decide, but he takes off too early, uh, and I believe it's described somewhere that the conductor was helping an old lady or tripped over an umbrella or something mm, Yeah. Um, after he waved his flag, and then he just ran off without a guard. Mm, mm. And again, I think it kind of reflects on the last episode that we talked about uh, with Gordon leaving the station and uh, heading back onto the loop line, um, going all around and back again. It's a very similar situation where uh, Thomas is almost channeling the same kind of pride that someone like Gordon has, mm. who's uh, Thomas being very susceptible to um, things that are going on around him and he wants to be like Gordon and all that, um, and but probably takes on too much of their characteristics. Uh, yes, we heard in the opening narration there, and I had to have a chuckle because it said that Thomas thought his branch line was the most important in the whole railway. Yeah. But, which it really isn't, in fairness, because it's just this small little sliver of It's a humble railway. little, yeah. yeah it, it terminates at the quarry. So. Yeah, that, that's probably the most important part of the line. Mm. The main reason it would be made is because of the quarry. Mm. They just decide to have engines run it for towns along there, just yeah. a little bit of extra money. Yeah, but we see that Thomas has sort of matured slightly because he's come to realise that he has a huge responsibility with the branch line he's depended upon, and if nothing runs to time, it reflects badly on him. Mm. Because he is the sole... At this point in the series, he's the sole contributor to this branch line. He doesn't have... Percy or Toby or Mavis to help him. It's just him. Or even Daisy, yes. It makes you think now, like, we only see the passenger services happening, but later on we also see um, his quarry work, but it makes you think he's juggling this, he's working at Farquhar Quarry, Mm. um, and he is trying to uh, make it uh, as... um, likable as possible and he's making a good impression and he wants to please the fat controller as it says in um the narration so it makes you wonder like how far is thomas stretching himself Mm. from being a shunter at natford station from now being pretty much the pilot of a fully fledged branch line Mm. Mm. very much so and we also get to see in this episode our next instance of henry Yes. And his long-running illness. Yeah. Mm. It kind of becomes terminal from this point yeah, in. It pretty much does, <laughs> yeah. yes. He suffers dreadfully, and honestly, we see him just mournfully pull into Ellsbridge Station with Thomas as Thomas's cross. Mm. And he just looks terrible. He looks like he's had a bad night, and he's woken up, and he's like, oh, I have to do it all again. I... Oh, I feel so much sympathy for Henry in this episode, despite him only being there for a few seconds. Is it possible he has depression? It is quite possible, because I think in this first half of the season, he's very just kind of down in his own dumps. Mm. He's often a very solitary character as well. There's actually a running joke in the fandom, because there was a set released that came with a Henry locked in a tunnel with a custom face. (laughs) And the face on this Henry Wun Railway model 
is now um, famously known as clinically depressed Henry. (laughs) 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 Because he looks so sad, but it does bring to question on how Henry, you know, he is the strongest engine on the line, um, apart from Gordon, but that's Mm. up to deliberation. Yes. Um, And... He's locked in a tunnel, and then he is really weak, and even confirmed by the Reverend and Christopher, he was an experimental design that was Mm. stolen from Sir Nigel Gresley. It's worth noting that if you were locked in a tunnel for an extended amount of period, that would be a very traumatic experience. I mean, you wouldn't be able to recover from that. I think it did his head in. Yes. Yeah, and like the question is, how long was he in there? That's a good question. Yes. Like, how long was it? It's insinuated Gordon Edward that it's, James running the the whole line. Yeah, it's insinuated that it's been years. Yeah, yeah. Not, in the story, not, not even James, because mm. it was James's first day with the breakdown train. Yeah, we only really see him um, there as a fill-in for another engine. Of mm. course, in the railway series, you've got the red engine, but he doesn't look anything like James. Yes, mm. is his name Eagle? Uh, people have come up with names. Eagle, yeah, Wilson. Doesn't, doesn't have an official name. Yeah, yeah just red knows engine. the red engine, yeah. Hmm. But uh, yes, coming back to Thomas and the Guard now, yes. um, what are our thoughts on this episode? I think it really uh, rounds off that Thomas has um, found a place, but he still has lots to learn. Mm. Um, and I think in the first instance of that is that he leaves the guard behind and he wants to just listen to himself. He wants to get his job done, but um, eventually he has to uh, listen to Annie and Clarabelle's pleading that you need to stop. We need to get back to reality and get our guard back. Yeah. Um, this episode has got beautiful shots mm. and it's the first look of the Farquhar branch line properly, mm-hmm. apart from the opening credits. And, of course, this episode has got some of the footage that's later used in the opening credits. Mm, so the very end scene of this episode is also the one they use at the very end of the opening titles. Yes, mm. with Thomas arriving. Um, at Farquhar. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that does mean that this was made early in the production because, of mm. course, this episode had to be made before the opening sequence. Yeah. Mm. Much like how we pre-record these shows, they've obviously pre-recorded <laughs> yeah. a few episodes not in chronological order there. Mm. Well, but, no one ever does film anything in chronological order. It's a great myth of film and television. No oh, one yeah. actually shoots things in sequence. Yeah, exactly. Only artists do. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, of course, another trivia fact, uh, the event of Thomas leaving his guard behind was one that was based on a real event which occurred in Eastburn, South England, in the UK. Um, and I believe that was the guard conductor. He tripped over an umbrella after he waved the flag, and that therefore meant the train left him behind. And he then had to run after the train, which mm. I feel is quite impressive in this episode. Was he an yes. athlete? Or... Yeah, he... Well, as a hobby, <laughs> we can only assume that Thomas has to stop at the next signal. Well, yeah, yeah. he, he, he mm. does stop at the signal, but then you have to consider on how what's happened is that Thomas has left the guard behind, mm-hmm. and presumably the driver and fireman are at fault as well, as we see in yes. Thomas's train. They look behind, not even knowing huh? the train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who done it? Um, but the guard has then had to contact signalman down the line telling them, go red, I need to catch up. And then he's just decided to run along the branch line, Mm. which I'm sure is against some regulations. However... You could roll your ankle too, like all the sleepers. Oh, yeah. The gravel. Yeah, ballast, yeah. He's given a glass of milk to calm down (laughs) afterwards. Quote, unquote, water. Yeah. That's not water. Yeah. (laughs) Milk was a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah, actually... This is absolutely true. GPs say that you should not drink milk if you're sick because it induces vomiting. Yeah. But your your body's really sensitive to it. Yeah. Mm. So, don't take your health tips from a guard. (laughs) (laughs) Or Henry, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But ranking-wise, this episode, it is a good episode, and it has got some action, but I feel that it is flat for me. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, I'm unable to describe it. Yeah. Um, very much with troublesome trucks for you, mm. Parry. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to need to be a 6 or a 6.5 for me. Yeah, okay. That's interesting, because I'm thinking this is, like, top tier here. Top I, tier. I, I'm leaning, really? I'm leaning towards a 9 out of 10 for this one. Ooh. Yeah, because I think it really helps to develop Thomas's character. It provides great exposition mm. for not only his branch line, but the three stories to come. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. I think I'm kind of in the middle here. I feel like it really sets up the groundwork for where Thomas is at. It really introduces uh, railway concepts really well for people who are unsure of how things work the way they do. Yeah. Um, but I also feel as well that um, it's a very basic story. I'm kind of okay with that, but I know there's episodes that I do like more. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 7 Mm. Oh, okay. I'm branching out alone on this one. I'm, I'm liking <laughs> oh, this more than everyone else. I don't blame you at all. Yeah, yeah I, it, I do respect this episode. Mm, yeah, I, I will have to say though, um, there's this very brief line at the end of the episode where Annie and Clarabelle tell Thomas, "As fast as you like, as fast as you like." And thinking back now, don't trains have to stick to a timetable? I mean, wouldn't people oh, yeah. miss their train if he was just travelling as fast as possible? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but is he just going as fast as he likes? along the actual track between stations. Within oh. speed limit. Yeah, but, <laughs> but within then, speed limit But as then well. Ringo Starr says they finished the line quicker than ever before. Exactly, mm. which... That does bring up the point on... When the Fat Controller wasn't watching. Yes. And, and this is a debate we'll probably carry over into Thomas and Bertie. Because Definitely. after all, it is a race. But I think it's time to jump into our second episode now. And it is Thomas Goes Fishing. Play the clip. Then the driver let the bucket down to the water. The bucket was old and had five holes. So they had to fill it, pull it up, and empty it into Thomas's tank as quickly as they could, several times over. Finished at last. That's good, that's good, puffed Thomas, and Annie and Clarabel ran happily behind. Suddenly, Thomas began to feel a pain in his boiler. Steam began to hiss from his safety valve in an alarming way. There's too much steam, said his driver. Oh dear, groaned Thomas, I'm going to burst, I'm going to burst. They damped down his fire and struggled on. I've got such a pain, I've got such a pain, Thomas hissed. And that, my dear children, was the end of Thomas the Tank Engine. (laughs) So now, uh, due to requests of this engine, uh, James is wanting to take over the show. Welcome to James and no one else. So... Um, this is where the podcast ends, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just briefly on that clip, I love how the music changes ever so slightly as mm. he works his way along the branch. Line. So it's that upbeat Thomas theme, and as it goes, and then there's that realization where, oh dear, something's not quite right. I feel dreadfully ill, and I'm going to explode. Yes. Now, this is a really interesting episode. It has got another, like one time large-scale model used, which Mm -hmm. is the side tank of Thomas. We Mm -hmm. saw uh, the first, apart from the close-up face, um, of the buffers in in the trucks. Mm -hmm. And I feel that is something that's really interesting about this episode, on how this episode has clearly gotten a much larger budget Mm -hmm. than any of the others, because they even have close-ups of the bucket pouring the water out. I'm pretty sure they use an actual bucket mm, for that with sequence. Holes. Yes. Which is so interesting. But the thing is, is that the music there is what sells it. It's it so absolutely. catchy. It, it, it's almost, it's um, like the breakdown crane theme, except a bit more of a polka mm. to it. And also, the when they're filling it up, da, 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 that's the turntable theme. It's yes. a very like deliberated yes. version of the turntable theme with an added kind of element in there. Mm. And I love it. it. It's got a brilliant mix, that scene, of real-life elements and, you know, model elements, which 
you rarely ever see. Mm. Um, but one thing that Parry actually pointed out uh, whilst we were watching the clip, and we encourage you listeners to go and find it yourself, they'd use Percy's face mask they in do. one of it. Twice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that this has uh, happened more than once mm. um, in the season leading up, and I don't know whether it was something that was dismissed or whether they didn't have uh, that particular face made at that time. Mm. Um, it's an interesting uh, little goof and tidbit there. Mm. Oh, is it really a goof, though? I mean... You know, and they might not have had the budget, possibly, but maybe they said, "Oh, these phases are just interchangeable. Let's just do it." You know? yeah. yeah, it would be a goof if it wasn't intended. Mm. Um, and which, and it wouldn't yeah. be the last time that this mistake is made. Obviously, that's a conversation for a future episode. It even yeah. goes all the way to season five. Mm. It's only really when the switch to CGI is made that they don't mix them up anymore. <laughs> that would be scary if it actually happened. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I really want to now just see different characters in CGI with different faces. But um, fun fact about this episode is that it is actually um, the first episode in both US and UK dubs that has got the exact same title. There which, you go. Which is interesting. And um, all of us had a bit of a laugh um, when I mentioned this, but... It's based off another real event, as much of the railway series, which occurred on the Glasgow and Southwestern Railway, where a driver kept fish in his engine's water tank to keep the water clean. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Now, like, I, has he ever kept goldfish? I mean, <laughs> now I, I remember when I was watching this episode as, as a kid, and I still haven't got an answer. Wouldn't the fish have died? They would have boiled. Yeah, except later they catch the fish. And they would have been cooked. <laughs> yes. But how do you catch a fish? Because the fish are supposed to, you know, swim, take a bite of the fishing rod. Which means the fish are still alive. I think this is one of those episodes, one of the first to really kind of go down Uncanny Valley. It definitely yes. goes down an Uncanny Valley. Because if you look at the clip in the episode, they're using dirty water from the Ells River, is it? Uh Owls Bridge, Owls River, yeah, 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 from At, the Owls uh, River, hacking back. Yeah, it's it's like this really dark, dirty colour. If you ever been like on the Murray or the Goulburn River in Victoria, and very seen, much like that. Yeah, it's very much like that. Wouldn't that dirty up the tanks? Wouldn't that mm. mess with the very components of the engine? Because for those who don't know, steam engines they take water from the water tank, mm. and then the boiler, essentially, you know, the coal, mm. essentially fires up and boils that water, and that's what produces steam, and that what that's what makes the engine run. And we're often told when using steaming equipment, you need to use the diluted or clean water, because otherwise mm. it, you know, ruins it. But I feel that is where the issue of this episode sort of comes into play, mm. because it isn't... Thomas goes fishing. Mm. The fish is just an unintended side effect. Mm. Yes. But it's more so Thomas has gotten dirt and stones mm. all plugged up in his valves. Mm. And that's why, you know, steam isn't able to escape. That's why mm. the safety valve starts leaking steam into his cab. Mm. That's why mm. he feels like he's going to burst because he genuinely might. Yes. If anyone has actually seen images of steam train boiler explosions, they are one of the most Cthulhu-like looking they are. monstrosities mm. out there. And, like, sometimes they're perfectly fine. Other times the train is launched into the air and <laughs> ends up killing multiple people terribly. Yes. Um, so, really, who thought this was a good idea? And who didn't notice fish going into a boiler? Yes. It's one of those episodes as well, as we talked about in Thomas's Train, where um, where are the humans to blame in this story as well? Mm. You wonder how qualified the engine crew is <laughs> yes. to really know how uh, like important filtered water is uh, to a steam engine rather than grabbing water from a lake. Perhaps... Thomas's driver was on sick leave and someone else came in. Oh, well, hold on. We see from the images there, it's the same driver he's had all season, the one with the moustache. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The same one that they then decide to interchange with any other figurine with the same sort of suit and uniform between yes. shots. Yeah. That, that's quite sad, actually, because I really like the mustachio driver that they oh, use in the yeah. first season. There's a charm to him. One of my favourite things about the current CGI series, I think season eight, from season 18 onwards, um, 
they make a lot of um, presence known to the engine crews again, and the Mustachio driver is there. Yes. He's still there <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> and, and what's really interesting is, of course, in a railway series sense, this story takes place before the World War, and then, you know, from Toby onwards, that's all after the World War, and then, of course we have in Big World, Big Adventures, there's a 2002 diesel in it, mm. which means that these drivers have been working on this line for decades. Yes. Their retirement fund is looking great. <laughs> like, like, and, like, I mean, honestly, are they like Connor McLeod? Do they live forever? <laughs> I think there's a bit of a wistful optimism on Soto, and it does say there is fact that more optimistic people live longer. True. So. <laughs> True. And, like, I mean, I guess you sort of have to be optimistic when as many shenanigans happen as mm-hmm. on Soto. You sort of have to be, I know a good thing will be happening today, hopefully. Oh, well, tomorrow will be a better day. <laughs> um, but for this episode, I, I'm i ranking it high. I'm going to go 8 to 8.5. Mm-hmm. The music works well. It's blended of real life and model elements. Fantastic. It's got another hint at the Henry saga, mm. which is just being woven in, in, as Parry, you said, it's terminal now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely a seven, eight, I'll go for me. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I'm heading towards eight, leaning towards nine, but it's definitely a solid eight for me, this one. As you said, um, as, as I said, it um, feeds into the Henry story and it raises a lot more questions than it has answers to, but nonetheless, you know, it's an entertaining episode. Yeah, I definitely enjoy these more uh, wacky episodes <laughs> and I definitely appreciate the kind of sense of humour that um, Reverend Wilbur Audrey has and um, I think it's something... It's, this is one of the first times where you really see it in action, and not the last as well. So I definitely think this is a solid 7.5 for me. Yeah. Okay. We're going to head uh, to our feature song uh, for this uh, episode, and uh, we're going to feature um, another uh, Christian Chords uh, single, uh, one of his first. You are the number one. You're listening to the Right On Track podcast. Stay tuned. A short stumpy funnel and a short stumpy dome The island of Sodom is where you call home Always ready, always willing to come and help A little cheeky but we know he always means well From Napa Station to Brenton Docks Helping his engine friends shut the troublesome trucks And when he's not doing that all the time He's working on his own branch line Doesn't really matter. To top of that, love's on his engine. 
kids he gave them numbers as a sign of affection But there can only be one number one Yeah, there can only be one the number one by Christian Chords, our sort of music interlude that we like putting in now just to showcase some fan music work. Mm. So moving right on, uh, now this is going to be the third episode in the Thomas Branchline saga, uh, Thomas, Terrence in the Snow. Roll the clip. <laughs> They finished their journey safely, but by now the country was covered. You'll need your snowplow for the next journey, Thomas, said his driver. Puh! Snow is silly soft stuff. It won't stop me. The snowplow was heavy and uncomfortable and made Thomas cross. He shook it and he banged it, and when they got back, it was so damaged that the driver had to take it off. You're a very naughty engine, he said to Thomas. One of the things that's visually striking about this episode is um, how awesome Sodor looks covered in snow. Yes. Oh, yes. And mm. it's our first time we actually see it in proper snow. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it is probably my favourite look of Sodor. Yeah, yeah. I think the seasonal episodes like this, the Flying Kipper... Um, and episodes like The Deputation uh, just look so good and they're just so much fun to watch because Mm. there's another element that you know is going to be exclusive to maybe only one or two episodes a season and um, it adds uh, a bit more uniqueness and value on it as well. Mm. And I think there might be a certain charm to it as well because we're all Australian and we rarely ever see snow. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, and if we do see snow, it's in more northern areas such as Bendigo, as you mentioned. Oh, not really. Not really. <laughs> okay, the last time it snowed in Bendigo, I was only a toddler. Right. And it was just an absolute pure freak coincidence. Yeah. Really. Um, if you're in Ballarat, they sometimes get snow. I know the Dandenong Ranges, just yeah, slightly yeah. to the northwest of Melbourne, they get snow as well. Uh, along the snowy mountains, duh. Um, yeah, uh, along the Great Dividing Range there. But, yeah, it's rare that you actually find snow in you know most centres of Australia. You'd need to go yeah. into the mountainous regions. Yeah, mm. I, I know I've never seen snow. The closest I've gotten is having ice on the windscreen <laughs> and then spending a good 15 minutes to try and get that off before heading off to day. Mm. Yeah. One of the things that's also really notable about this episode is that you see no other engines anywhere, even at yes. Natford or Tidmouth. Mm. Thomas is the only one in sight, but uh, he's not alone. He's got Annie and Clarabelle, but it's also the introduction uh, to the first... Uh, off-rail character, uh, Terence the Tractor, and uh, he um, is still kind of a little bit mysterious in an essence that his character hasn't really been built upon much, Mm. but he's still a really interesting character. He he very much only appears as a side character. Um, He rarely will ever have a main episode, if that. I think only Thomas Breaks the Ice was his largest role. uh, No, Terence Breaks the Ice. Yes, yeah, yeah. His largest role, apart from this. Uh, He's appeared in Henry's Forest, but he really only says a few sentences and then off he goes. He hasn't had much character development. Yeah, he doesn't at all. You get really no sense as to what his character is. All I got from it when I was a child was that he was just this really confident guy who didn't let anything phase him. Mm. Yeah. You know, he was just so confident in his abilities that nothing could you know, deter him. Yeah, I 
I actually learnt my colours by going, he's orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of almost, in a way, thinking about it, he's kind of the Boko of season one. He very much is. Boko, oh, Boko. is another character oh. who is great for who he is, but isn't phased really by many. Uh, there's probably one exception to that rule, but he's uh, very much... Um, high and confident enough that nothing will really hinder him and mm. Terence has abilities uh, like his plow and his um, tractorness uh, that really is the essence of who he is and what he does. Mm. Mm. Now what really interests me uh, the most about this episode is the fact that in of course UK release it's Thomas Terence and Snow. But in the US release, it's Terence the Tractor. And I feel that almost the titles should be flipped. As, you know, previous, we've had, you know, James and the Express has become a proud day for James. It seems mm. more drawn out title. Mm. So I, I don't know where the change in communication was. Maybe they both ran at the same time. We'll try and fit the mm. other, you know, creators. And it was just perfect coincidence they totally renamed the episodes. Yeah, it's mm. not really Terence's story, though, is it? We sort of see him as a side character. It's really more about Thomas and how he deals with this silly soft stuff, as he refers to it. Yes. And I think one of the interesting things here, just on a front from Thomas's point of view, is that in a lot of uh, films and stories, Snow is depicted as this white, wonderful thing that's mm. so majestical and almost fairy tale esque. Mm. Whereas uh, Thomas sees it for what it is. It's cold, it's icy, and it gets in the way, and he doesn't like that. Yeah, if you have actually been to the snow, it's really firm. If you fall on it, it hurts quite badly. My sister went on a a snow camp back in when she was in year 10 and at that time there was only snow on the dangerous runs and you know it's not a soft landing you like fall hard and you get bruises all over you it's just, yeah it's horrible yeah i i really compare it to gravel just <laughs> yeah. fine gravel it, that's it, well, like essentially stuff. well that's what snow is yeah. because it's essentially ice which has been you know really whittled down mm. Mm. but of course this episode is quite famous for one very popular scene, and that is the first on-screen crash with Thomas Atchie running into the snow and uttering his phrase for the first time as well, cinders and ashes. Mm. Um, now, this is quite interesting, I feel, because we're about halfway through season one right now, mm. and we've had several mentions of crashes. You know, we, we've had James have a big, proper crash but we never actually see any until this. Yes, correct. And I love that. I can already know I'm going to give this a good ranking. Definitely. I think this episode has a lot of firsts. Um, also, one of the uh, unmentioned firsts as well is that it's also the first appearance of Bertie the Bus. It is. Yes. It makes a silent cameo. Well, he, you hear his horn, but that's it. He and, does. And, and you do actually see him for a quick second mm. when the passengers board on. And this is actually brought up in the next episode that we'll yeah. review. Yeah, there's a lot of very visually exciting things going on. You see um, Bertie for the first time, and you kind of go, oh, who's this? And then you see Terence kind of doing his thing, getting Thomas and Ian Clarabel out of the snow, and you see the crash, and you see the snow plowing action, and you see the snow. Whilst all that's happening, I think... Uh, my previous comment of, like, there not being many engines around, I think I can kind of forgive that for how much is going on. Mm, um, definitely. I think it's uh, definitely, um, while it's a story that's very easy to free flow, um, it does have a lot going for it as well. Yeah. Mm. And I also like the music for Terence as well, which eventually went on to become the sing-along song Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. Yeah. That is probably my favourite Thomas song. I just It's so good. Yeah, I just I love it. I, I can listen to it over and over again. It's perpetually hummable. I think Terence's theme as well is one of my favourites. Like, mm. it's up there with James um, and Donald and Douglas. Oh, uh, of course, Donald and Douglas. I know, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> but um, just a testament to, like, the work that Mike O'Donnell and Juno Campbell do mm. in their time on Thomas uh, makes uh, the aura of Thomas so distinguishable 
as a show. Mm. And I think uh, even the little ditties like um, you heard in the previous clip where uh, you see the frame of the snowplow, it goes, whoa, whoa, and yeah. you know like <laughs> yes. exactly what to think. Mm. And uh, Bad. <laughs> there's almost, um, there's a silent, uh, unspoken comedy uh, just with the use of music, and I really like that. And I think that um, is probably added to uh, the absence of the movement of the faces and the people. Mm. Um, but the music kind of tells a story on its own uh, without that limitation. Mm. Mm. And we hear that very early on in, uh, I think it's Edward Gordon and Henry, where Gordon says, Henry's laughing at me. And it's just Henry dun, smiling. Dun, 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 and yeah, of we course, did it's speak about that, yeah. yes. And I think it carries on. Uh, for a long time as well, even as the music definitely um, evolutionises and progresses, it's a characteristic that's still reflected upon in the show today. Mm. Even though the people and the faces move now in the CGI uh, iteration, they still have those uh, little nods to the past, which are really good. Mm. Yeah. So what about rankings, guys? Well, Denim, after you. I, th- I, think, I think this one has to be an eight for me. Yeah, an eight. Parry? I think I'm heading towards nine again. Nine again. I, I, I'm just rolling out those nine out of ten rankings this episode, <laughs> aren't I? I, I tell you, we're going to put a limit on those for you. <laughs> um, we'll add five more for the rest of the season. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I really have only... Ooh, like, I want to rank it high, but not too high. Because, mm. again, it's nostalgia glasses. That's the biggest issue when ranking these. Mm. But, um, like, it's beautiful. There's, yes. There's all the snow, which dedication, because yeah. all those snow are individual pieces. You can see in the crash when Thomas pushes them aside, they are so tiny. And then you've got introduction of Terence and Bertie, which are probably two of the four most popular non-rail vehicles. You'd be mm. hard-pressed to try and get a clear winner in a poll. Yeah. I'm going to go probably an Eight, eight point five, right between you two. Okay, that sounds good. That yeah. sounds good to me. We're going to move on to our last episode for today, and it is none other than uh, the famous story, Thomas and Bertie. Thomas was waiting at a junction when a bus arrived. Hello, said Thomas. Who are you? I'm Bertie. Who are you? I'm Thomas. I run this branch line. So you're Thomas, eh? I remember now, you got stuck in the snow. I took your passengers and Terence the tractor pulled you out. I've come to help you with your passengers today. Help me, said Thomas. I can go faster than you. You can't, said Bertie. I can, huffed Thomas. I'll race you, said Bertie. The drivers agreed to the race going ahead. The station master said, are you ready? Go! Thomas never could go fast at first, and Bertie drew in front. Oh, that is such a good start. Mm, and I love the music for this episode as well, which I think is pretty much Bertie's theme. It yeah. is pretty much for the whole episode, it's mm. Bertie's music. Mm. And I feel that the music is really what carries this episode. Um, you know, it's got action, and even more so in America, it's got Thomas and Bertie's Great Race, mm. um, which later, of course, got the name The Great Race for the special. Yeah. Um, and this is probably one of the most beloved episodes out there. Mm. And I feel the reason why is because it's got that friendly rivalry, it's got a race, something that a lot of fans can relate to when they're trying to prove that they're better than someone in a bit of friendly competition. Mm. And I think in so many other stories uh, outside of the realm of Thomas, it's always so-and-so uh, against so-and-so, and it's always the, the pits of evil. Yes. And, uh, but Thomas uh, is something that is very good at establishing, hey, we're having some competition, but it's fair play as well. Mm. And even at the end of the episode... They both respect each other and go, hey, you did a really good job. Mm. And they just agree to work together in the future, despite technically being a part of rivaling companies, yeah. buses and trains. It's something that we definitely see um, later on 
in future episodes where other buses uh, disagree uh, with uh, the ways of rail. And it's an interesting thing because um, there's the factoring between um, steam engines and diesel engines uh, with the idea of modernization and uh, being revolutionary. Mm. Um, but there's... We have all... a thingy coming? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but there's... Great uh, pick up there, Connor. Thank you. There's also... Um, I like the idea that um, not every uh, character in their own line of kin has to be good or has to follow the core values or morals um, as the rest of their kind. Um, Mm. And I think it's something I want to see more of um, in the future. I think the idea that not all steam engines are good is something that's only really kind of skimmed on the surface with characters like Duncan um, and Sir Handel and Gordon to an extent as well Um, but I think uh, I really like this idea that um, Bertie is someone who uh, keeps an eye on the side of the island of Sodor that Thomas doesn't get to see because Mm. he's restricted to his railway um, and vice versa, uh, Thomas is able to share the news from the railway and from the branch line with Bertie, and then they're working this lovely kind of cohesion with one another. Absolutely, and that's why their friendship works so well. It's because they complement each other, and not only that, that Bertie can do things that Thomas can't do. He can take his passengers far away from the branch line, whereas you know Thomas obviously is limited to following a set of rails there. But he likes his rails. He does very he much... trade them in for caterpillar tracks. Uh, yes, exactly right. And I think that this also explains why there's that sort of rivalry between steam engines and diesels. It's because diesels do essentially the same work as steam engines do, but without all that stuff and nonsense. You know, mm. basically push mm. a button, off they go. Whereas yeah. with uh, the road-going vehicles, you know, they have their own purpose to serve, and that's on the roadway. Mm. Um, one interesting thing is that uh, Thomas and Bertie and Thomas, Terence and the Snow, uh, in a railway series standpoint, actually take place after the World War, whilst Thomas and the Guard and Thomas Grows Vision takes place before the World War, mm. which means that there's a whole ton of stories between that they never met and yeah. everything that happens. So I'm quite interested as to what sort of effects uh, have been put in place. Because, of course, Thomas is now actually running his branch line again, assuming he was helping out in some form of the war. Um, But what is really interesting, my personal favourite fact about this episode, is that it isn't based off any real event, which is unlike many of the other railway series and TV series stories at this point. Um... In, in fact, the Reverend has stated that due to reprisals from authority, such a race wouldn't occur. Uh, that's why he was careful to note, and this was put in the TV series as well, although between you and me, I don't think that they'll ever have another race again. Mm. But where the inspiration for this race actually came from was a board game the Reverend made. He made a little board game to entertain his children whilst on a wet day on a holiday in rail, uh, Wales mm-hmm. to entertain them, and it was about a race between a bus and a train. That's so cool. I, I really like that on how this story that is entertaining for its race value mm. was made to entertain children, and I think that is what really captures the essence of this episode. Mm, definitely. I think another thing I really uh, like about this episode, and I've spoke about um, in Troublesome Trucks as well in our previous episode, is that there's uh, so much to see in this story. We see a lot of Thomas's branch line, but we also see Thomas's branch line from other perspectives. Mm. Yes, we see roads, we see towns. One of my favourite shots, it's a bit of B-roll footage, it's Bertie running down the road and there's a car that drives past beside him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's lovely. Mm, it is great. Yeah, there's a lot of neat little touches in here. Yeah, perfect for its production value. Um, so the music is great, the visuals are great, the uh, sound effects are great, and it's got such a childish charm to it that carries mm. it. I 
might I'm tempted to give out my first ten, but I'm not so Whoa. sure. Oh. What, what what are you guys thinking for ranking? Then I'll decide. Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna hand out a nine to this one. Okay, you got yeah. four more left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how many episodes have we got of the first season? Left twelve now. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet I better use them sparingly from now on. Stakes are getting higher, but I have <laughs> yeah. to agree with you, Perry. I think this is nine for me as well. Oh, okay. Um I might go nine point five. Not Ooh. not not a perfect episode from my point of view yet. We're still waiting for one that gets thirty out of thirty. We'll <laughs> see if that ever happens. You never know. In the meantime, uh, we have loved having you uh, join us on this journey uh, with the podcast as we chuff all the way through uh, Season 1 of Thomas the Tank and Friends on the Right on Track podcast. Make sure to uh, tune in uh, with the conversation with us on social media at Right on Track on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and we would love to hear what you think. What are your favourite episodes? Who are your favourite characters? Or what are your favourite or uh, not-so-favourite parts of Season 1? We'd love to uh, hear some things uh, that you think. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we hope to hear you next time around. Indeed. Yes. I've been Connor. I've been Parry. I've been Denim. And this has been the Rattlin' Track Podcast. And in our next episode, we will be covering Tenders and Turntables, Trouble in the Shed, and Percy Runs Away. So this is where the series gets weirdly quite political, This actually. is one of my favourite trilogies in the whole of Thomas, so I'm very excited to talk about it. Yes, we'll have a lot to say about that. But in the meantime, goodbye. Adios. See you later.